Hello, welcome to this History Engaged podcast. I'm Simon. And I'm Jamie. And today we are doing the Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 Space Probe supplementary episode. And this is a supplementary because last time we did this episode, we had a million and one interruptions and we just went, I can't be happy with this. So we missed out every single bit, or I think we started doing it, but of the technical side of it. So what actually is in the Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 space probes. Um, but in case you missed it, Voyager 2 was launched on August 20th, 1977, Cape Canaveral, Florida, aboard a Titan Centaur rocket. And then Voyager 1 was launched from the same place on the same rocket on September 5th, um, the same year. Uh, and their mission was to explore the giant planets of our outer solar system, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Uranus is not bloody the other one. <laughs> and I was wondering if you'd bring that up as a thing. Yeah. Full shape of their moons and unique system of rings and magnetic film of ring uh, fields those planets possess, and it also inspired Vija in the motion picture. That's an awful lot. So we're doing the technical side of it. Yeah, Jamie will quite quickly establish. He knows nothing. He no. literally knows nothing. So this is a really heavy Simon episode where it will be me chatting away about... The notes are very technical. Uh, it's about six pages because obviously last time we did this, we didn't get, was it four interruption? We kind of lost the flow of the episode and we just both had had enough. But I know in particular Simon felt kind of a bit disappointed that we didn't get to finish it all. So we decided we were we were going to rectify that and do, do this now. Because um, I think we did that, was it last year, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So... But yeah, I will. That you kindly said yes, I will let you do it. Cause even yeah. though I know nothing about it, I don't, don't really want to. But... My brain at the end of this will be a sponge. I mean, it's about six pages of notes from the original research that we've got. And Simon very kindly did explain a few of the bits to me in, you know, in layman, layman terms. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, they're kind of the easiest things to understand. So thank you very much, Simon. But yeah, this will be, as I said, because, as I said, this is very, very technical. I mean, it's akin to kind of techno babble, babblish in a way, if, not, if you think of Star Trek. But yeah, it, it's interesting. But as you say, it's, it, for me, it's a lot to wrap my head around. So Simon has very kindly explained a few of the bits to me, which I'll read Tell out. Tell them about the documentary again. Um, Something else you can <clears> say. Yes, also do check out the, the documentary on the whole thing, uh, which is a, it's a good couple of hours, isn't it, I think? Yeah. Uh, so what's it, what's it called again? <laughs> it's in the notes at the beginning of the notes. Uh, let me have a look. Let me have a look. Sorry, let me have a look. Um, right at the top, Jerry. Keep going. Right at the top. Well, I am right at the top. Are we looking at the same notes? It's, I can see it. Jerry. Oh yeah, the farthest documentary. That's the name. I, of it. I did tell you. You did right tell at the top, top of the notes. Yeah. Good start, Jamie. Yeah. So the farthest documentary. Uh, well worth a watch. Very. Oh, yeah. Two hours long. Twenty seventeen. IMDb of 8.1. And explaining things, I think, in a really good way as well, particularly said, for someone like me, said not very technical stuff. Um, so definitely worth... And also, and if you guys have missed it, obviously listen back to our original episode on this as well. Yeah. Um, the other bit, Jamie, you might want to say is if you go to these notes, that's those notes, rough description of what they are. Yeah, so what the actual spacecraft of the Voyager 1 and 2 probe is. So... The identical Voyager spacecraft are three axis stabilised systems that use celestial or gyro reference attitude control to maintain pointing of the high gain antennas towards Earth. Now, can I... Do you know 
what the three axis stabilization systems are. I'm assuming from the notes here, it's what's it's the CCS, so the Command Computer Subsystem, the Attitude and Articulation Control Subsystem. There's another one there. You said there was three, didn't you? Is that am, am I right? And that's what that's the, what two of them are, or am I am I talking about something completely different? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. The CCS and the A AACS. Yes. Carry on, Jerry. Um, so I'll just continue from where I read off. Yeah. Yep. So the prime mission science payload consists of ten instruments, eleven investigations, including radio science. Each Voyager spacecraft comprises sixty-five thousand individual parts. My God. Many of these parts have a large number of equivalent smaller parts, such as transistors. One computer memory alone contains over one million equivalent electronic parts, with each spacecraft containing some five million equivalent parts. Yeah, you got to bear in mind this is the days before microchips. Yeah. And you got and you got to bear in mind back in nineteen sixty nine when we landed on the moon, you know, nice Apollo ten and all that sort of thing. Apollo had a million moving parts. So it's crazy numbers, but you're t- transistors. You're talking about like really old analog tech that's still working. So if if you had that today with the tech that we've got, I'm assuming it would look completely different, would it? Well, you just look at James Webb, Jamie. Yeah. The amount of tech that's that's done, the mm. amount, the size of the mirror that we've got on that thing. Mm. And what that's managed to achieve. Oh, yeah. So that's it's not probably the right equivalent, but in terms of space um, architecture, space technology we've got up there, that's probably the closest equivalent that I can think of. Hmm. The amount of again that that was there. That was 1977's James Webb. Effectively, um, do you want to talk about how it all? What powers it? Uh, yeah. So, should I just continue from where I left off, or should I? Go? Yeah, if you're, what are you what are you just going to do that lot? Is that all right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the command, so the CCS provides sequencing and control functions. It contains fixed routines such as command decoding and fault detection and corrective routines, and ten-eye pointing information and spacecraft sequencing information. So effectively, it's kind of it regulates I'm assuming like the journey any problems that they come across it can correct its course that kind of thing I'm guessing yeah yeah effectively yeah. Yeah. It, again it's kind of these days redundant but yeah at the time it was kind of saying we want you to go up this way we want you to orbit mm. this way we want you to look that way and um, the AACS so the Attitude and Articulation Control Subsystem controls that's space- one thing you do like acronyms right. I do like my acronyms don't I Controls spacecraft orientation, maintains the pointing of the high gain antenna towards Earth, controls attitude manoeuvres and positions the scan platform. So Kind of RCS thrusters in Star Trek kind of thing. Yeah, and obviously, so positions the scan for, like, if it was going to scan and take a picture, obviously, the high antenna is so, that's pointing, that's, that's, so that can send a clear signal back down to Earth. Yeah, my notes are telling me that it's 800 kilograms in total weight. So it's not a light thing, anyhow. Mm. Um, well, that high antennae. Yeah. Um, high gain antennae. That's what that's all about. Uh, so, the electrical power is supplied by three radio radioisotope thermoelectric generators (RTGs). The current power level are about two hundred and forty-nine watts for each spacecraft. 
my god, I wonder what that's, that's the equivalent of thing. As the electrical power decreases, power loads on the spacecraft must be turned off in order to avoid having demand exceed supply. As loads are turned off, some spacecraft capabilities are limited. So I'm assuming they did that so that it could go further out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah see? In, in kind of power save mode, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, see, this bit is actually not too bad. I can actually grasp roughly what it's actually, what it's actually saying. Um... But yeah, you were, so you I said we've got a diagram here as well, which um, I think you kind of explained to me a bit. It's kind of what was attached to the spacecraft, wasn't it? Didn't you say it's like the gold, it's gold circular bit. That's kind of what's attached. That's that thing. Yeah, the bus housing electronics. Um, so the basic structure of the spacecraft is called the bus, which carries the various engineering subsystems and scientific instruments. It is like a 10-sided box, which can be seen in the Voyage diagram. Um, yeah, I don't know what you read there. It's I don't know why I read that either. Um, each of the ten sides <laughs> of the bus. Thanks, Charlie. We agree on that one for that time. Each of the ten sides of the bus contains an apartment or a bay that houses various electronic assemblies. Uh, so, bay one, for example, contains the radio transmitters. The bays are numbered one to ten. Yeah. Number clockwise ascend from the Earth. So, yeah, I think you kind of said to me with this diagram, it kind of. It's, so you've got obviously you've got attached to it lots of different because they had to put the power supplies far away from it so that it didn't interact with any of the signs the other thing with signs is you don't want anything to contaminate data oh I see I got you and if they'd done that they know so like so like say that was located nearer to the uh, the sciencey stuff on the other side. The photo the because one... effectively the power. Su- I don't know what this is. No help to any of you at home. But on one side you've got the power supply, and on the other side you've got all the sciencey stuff. In so, the middle you've got the thing that can send all that sciencey stuff back to Earth. Right. So if that had been so if the if if that if that thing was shoved there, there, the whole thing would have been absolutely hundred percent useless. So like, if you're taking an image, you'd just there'd be an image of just what bright light or something, just absolutely nothing. You'd get a false reading. False reading, right. Because okay. you'd have... Yeah. You'd you'd be told radiation's there. Well, of course you'd be told radiation's there because you put radiation behind the... <laughs> <laughs> so there'd be no point. So that's why it's designed the way it is. Mm. So, so that's further away from that as it is so that that doesn't interfere with that side of it. Gotcha. So they've, they've designed it... For a practical purpose, that way. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk? Uh, do you want to talk about the the cosmic ray subsystem, the CRS? Cosmic ray investigation. The CRS, the subsystem, looks only for the very well used to. I should say none of again. None of this does anything anymore. And it's just kind of because now, as you said, it's in interstellar space. It's it. It hasn't done this in decades. Yeah. It really has. So none of this science is. Again, it should be, it will all be past tense because it don't do this none anymore. No, it literally all we get these days is yeah, I'm still here, and I'm probably going with that for that long. Hmm. But because I've got that thing pointing back to Earth, so that we can still send it messages and go, hey, like hand wave it and go, are you still there? The crazy thing is, all around, in at least in America, there are all these mini offices. Where they are controlling these telescopes and satellites, and there is still an office for the Voyager probes. 
where they are just checking in and it does take them I think 15 hours or so to get a message back from them so so what this 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 CRS does it 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 scan for or did scan for kind of particles very energetic particles and plasma has the highest density of the three particle detectors very energetic particles can often be found in intense radiation fields now what does nuclear stuff have a lot of nuclear stuff has a lot of radiation doesn't it yeah which is why you don't want that near that thing near that investigation hence why that was oh I gotcha go back cosmic ray that's why you have to oh I gotcha right Uh, surrounding planets like Jupiter particles with the highest known energies come from other stars the cosmic ray subsystem looks for both God, this is where I go into. If you look, nothing's highlighted, so I'm going to a bit of the unknown. Because I think I went, I don't know about this. You don't have to say if you don't want to say it's up to you. It makes no attempt to slow or capture the super hot energetic particles. They simply pass completely through the subsystem. However, in passing through, the particles leave signs that they were there. Uh, and then it men- mentions about the objective. So it measures the energy spectrum of electrons from. Three to oh god, I did not do my research for this. It's fine. You don't you don't have to say so. It's it, it, basically what you've got here. What we what 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 we've got here is a bunch of kind of the scientific objective of the the cosmic ray. It's measuring and providing all sorts of kind of different information. No, it's the I can go around it, but oh, I need my phone. Yeah, I'm going to stall for a bit. Jane, would you uh, read the ones without any of the, all the simple ones for me? Um, please, and I'll go back and try and So, okay. To provide information on the energy content origin, acceleration process, life history and dynamics of cosmic rays in the galaxy and contri- contribute to an understanding of the nucleosynthesis of elements in cosmic ray sources. Um, to provide info on the transport of cosmic rays, Jovian electrons and low energy interplanetary particles over an extended region of interplanetary space. To measure the three dimensional streaming patterns of nuclei from hydrogen through iron and electrons over an extended range. And to measure particle change composition in the ma- uh, magnetosphere of Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus and Neptune. Is that everything? That's the what. Well, that's the ones without the the the, the, the number calculations. Yeah, <laughs> the other two I thought myself. I, um, but yeah, that is the rest of it. Because this is a bit of the research that goes uh, over your head. Yeah, definitely does. Oh God. Okay. Right. So Simon's just knowing that down. Bless him. <laughs> no, this is what I do. If you look yeah. at my notes compared to Jamie's, there's an awful lot of scribbles where I yeah. have. Annotations. I mean, in, in this research, I do have some things that I've noted down, but not really much. Um, yeah, I should have done this a year ago, but whatever. Oh, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. No, mate. Oh, my God. So. That's, I'm not going to fit that in. So. I'm. I'm. Yeah, I'm not quite sure I understand this myself, but. <laughs> no, this number goes on and on and on. Good. Uh, do you want me to read the next thing out? I'm almost there. You're almost there? Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, we're going to be talking about, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff here to talk about. Right, okay, good. Okay. Nice. <clears throat> I vaguely know what I'm talking about now. Right. 
I'll then pass it over to you, Mister. Right, all the stuff we missed out on. So the cosmic ray, something. Let's hope there isn't any more surprises. There could be. There could be. Yeah, I think I've covered everything else. Okay, right. I think I was going to go back to this and didn't. Okay. Also, amongst what Jamie was talking about, which I didn't hear because I was fiddling. I went. For, I, I yeah, went, I, I know you've done the rest. I, I know Jamie. Just the first two. The first two I haven't read. <clears throat> it measures the energy spectrum of electrons from a three to one hundred and ten uh, mega electron volts, and one. Mega electron volt equals 1.60717663 joules. So that is a big amount of. Oh god, what does that mean? Oh god. Okay, right. Oh, does that mean that? Okay, so that. So that is a really big spectrum to go from. So even mega electron, that's a huge number. And then it also. The energy spectra and elemental composition of all cosmic ray and nuclei from hydrogen through iron over an energy range from approximately 1 to 500 mega electron volt for every nuclei cosmic ray, I'm assuming, but I don't know. Yeah, that's the word that keeps coming up, so I'm assuming it's nuclei. So that's looking at huge numbers trying to figure out what it all means where where they've come from and trying to work out the association from all these moons and the planets I'm assuming so that's what so that's what these cosmic ray does then yeah the three dimensional streaming patterns of a nuclei from hydrogen through iron electrons over an extended range so it is working out where all these things where all these gases are coming from right, in, in these planets right. so I think yeah, that's what I like to say. You got said you got all the technical stuff, and you just explain it in just a simple, simplistic way, which I can get. No, is when you get through all the kind of um, science talk, when you really get to down to what it actually means. Because hmm. I like saying like streaming patterns. That just means kind of where it's come. From. Like, like what what do you think when you think of a stream? Well, well. Well, it's water stream. I just think it goes from one place to another. It ends up going into, you know. But why can't that be a space? Same kind of thing. Hmm. Hmm. So when you're talking about, because again, this I'm reading this offhand. So while Jane was reading all that stuff, else you might we well, preheard it. I was fiddling trying to get stuff. Um, so we'll move on because this is getting very big for just. This is one of them, but it just shows you just how complicated that thing is. Energy content, origin, acceleration process, life history, dynamics of cosmic ray in the galaxies, country centers, and the nucleosynthesis of elements in cosmic ray sources. So it really is trying to work out as far, much as you can about our solar system. Um, should we go on to pull back the high gain antenna? Yeah. Yeah. So the high gain antenna, HGA, transmits data to Earth on two frequency channels, a downlink, one about 8.4 gigahertz, or 8,400 million cycles per second, is the X-band channel contains science and engineering data. For comparison, the FM radio band is centered around 100 megahertz. This is just bonkers numbers. <clears throat> the X-band downlink science data rates are as high as 7.2 kilobits per second. The other channel around... Two <laughs> yeah, that's... That kind of makes me laugh these days why is that 
kilobytes is kind of what you use in computers these days. Mm. So having 7.2 kilobytes, so KBs, you have more on your phone than you do they had on that telescope. Um, the other channel, around 2.3 gigahertz, is the NES band. It contains only engineering data on the health and state of the spacecraft at a low rate of 40 bits per second. S-band has not been used since the last planetary encounter. Well, it's not been used at all now, so, but yeah. So, yeah, obviously... Oh, I think it is. I think it is. They are just... Because they are... They're still trying to communicate with it. Yeah. But, yeah, you have one bit of data going to one desk and you have another bit of data going to the other desk. So, so you have all the fun images going to one one computer and then on the other one you have all the fun so effectively what the high gain antenna is is sending signals back down to earth to the team of what the what energies that the probes have captured and also the status of the actual craft itself correct yeah. pretty much yeah it's sending all the science back yeah. and well it was sending all the science back and an engineering yeah so you see yeah so nice and simple that one thank you so <laughs> Uh, the next thing we're going to talk about is the Imaging Science Subsystem, ISS. So I'm assuming, obviously, this is... I'm guessing that this is the um, the tech that actually took the imaging pictures. Is that correct? Read it, Jeremy. Yeah. yeah. The Imaging Science Subsystem... It's sub- actually really quite simple. Subsystem, ISS, is a modified version of the slow-scan video camera designs that were used in the early Marina flights. Mariner. 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 Thank you. The I actually is, like... Star Trek lower decks. <laughs> the, the ISS consists of two TV type cameras, each with eight filters and a commandable filter wheel mounted in front of the video. Videocons. One has a low resolution of 200mm wide angle lens. Um, do you want me to bro- do you know what a commandable filter wheel is? Uh, where, where, where am I looking here? Oh, uh, no, no, no. It's again, that's more simpler than you think it is. Probably. Is this Go more on. interesting this way, me kind of talking you through it? In step, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, you're not set there bored like you imagine you might have been. That's interesting. All it is, and it sounds more complicated than it really is. You've got a camera there, and you have a wheel with different filters on the front of it. That's oh, all it okay. is. That, that's all that means. Um, unlike the other onboard instruments, <laughs> operation of the cameras is not autonomous, but it's controlled by an imaging parameter table resigned in one of the spacecraft computers to flight data subsystem. FDS. Did you talk about the lenses? Oh no, I didn't, sorry. So one has a low resolution of 200mm wide angle lens with aperture of focal length F3, whatever that means. While the other uses a higher one of 1500mm narrow angle focal length F8.5 lens. Focal length is things they use in cameras. Right. So. Oh yeah, so you could zoom in and is that it? Yeah, okay. Yeah. I do wish I would just say that, but you know, let's just get all technical, so why not? Uh, Jamie, it's like the NASA website. It's I know. like proper science thing. Should we talk about the objectives of it? or? Yeah, again, I don't. This you shouldn't have any problems with. It is a camera, so you shouldn't have any issues with this one. Uh, observe the. the uh, uh, so the objectives were observe and characterise the circulation in the planetary atmosphere, provide limits on atmospheric composition, and determine the wind velocities in the regions observed, map the radial and acid. A simuful distribution of material on the ring plane. Search for (laughs) new rings. Obtain global multispectral coverage of all satellites. Establish rotation rates and spin axis orientations. That means moons. 
Study the surface morphology of Triton. No, thank you. At spatial resolution less than two kilometers, searching for undiscovered satellites and provide support images to assist other onboard investigations. Yeah, I know, I know. The sciencey stuff. And all it pretty much says, yeah, we're going to map all the materials on the rings. We're going to look at all the moons and see... Because do you know what all it says is... Do you know what it means by established rotational rates? Was that what? How they spin and turn around like Saturn. That's all that means. So when you spin it, when you get around it, it just means, yeah, we're going to look and where they move around, yeah. around the planets. Uh, so it really is an awful lot simpler than... So are we going to go through all of these then, or...? I hope so. We're further along than we think we are. Right. Once, once we've done it, we've done it, Jerry. We have. Uh, next, we'll talk about the IRIS which is the Infrared in, in Interferometer, Spectrometer and Radiometer. I'll let you read this one because it's probably the last couple. It has three separate instruments, <coughs> a very sophisticated thermometer. Do, do you know what one of those is, Jamie? A thermometer? Yes, <laughs> I do. <laughs> it can determine the distribution of heat energy, heat, heat energy a body is emitting. Um, to work that out, because I'm not going to bother that, because that just says what they say. Uh, is a device that can determine what certain types of elements or compounds are present in the atmosphere or on a surface. Which I think they work out by working out um, what elements they can see through a planet's atmosphere. Mm. Which is amazing, really. Um, third, it uses a separate radio meter to measure the total amount of sunlight reflected by a body at ultraviolet, visible, and infrared frequencies. So, different light. Oh, God. Uh, right, this is where it gets fun. The, uh, measures radiation in two regions of the infrared spectrum from 2.5 to 50 microns and from 0.3 to 2 microns, I believe. We'll go with that. If we're wrong, let us know. <laughs> like, again, that's why... It, that's the difference. I go through this with fine time the tooth comb and try and find sciencey stuff and f- figure out what the hell it all means hmm. there's nothing worse than like I did earlier where getting something I have no idea what that is um, so the objectives were to determine de- determination of atmospheric vertical thermal structure which in turn aids modelling of atmospheric dynamics so that's again that's working out what the hell is in the atmosphere Measurement of the abundance of hydrogen and helium as a check on theories regarding their ratio in the primitive solar nebula. Because hydrogen is the most abundant element in the galaxy. Yeah. Uh, determination of the balance of energy radi- radiated to that absorbed from the sun to investigate planetary origin, evolution and in- internal processes. Where it is in terms of the Big Bang. Yeah. Okay. I believe... Next. Not, not, not too bad, Jamie. I'm doing alright. We're getting there, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, right, so next we're talking about the LECP, the low energy charged particle. The LECP looks for particles of higher energy than the PLS and it overlaps... Plasma science. Thank you. And it overlaps with the, the CRS. It has the broadest energy range of the three sets of particle sensors. The LEC LECP can be imagined as a piece of wood with the particles of interest planned around. Good luck, Jeremy. Bullets, huh? Good luck. Carry on, but good luck, Jeremy, because I put a note next to this. What did you put? Weird allegory. Yeah. yeah. 
So we continue. Carry on. The first you can bullet, sit there and go, I have no idea what I'm on about. The first two bullet moves is deeper it will penetrate the wood. That's the depth of penetration measures the speed of the particles. The number of bullet holes over time indicates how many particles there are in various places in the solar wind and in the various outer planets. The orientation of the wood indicates the direction from which the particles came. Whatever that means. Uh, the um, yeah, the LECP <laughs> experiment uses two solid-state detector systems mounted on a rotation platform. The two subsystems are the LEPT, Low Energy Particle Telescope, and the LEMPA, the Low Energy Mag- Magnet Magnet oh God Magnetospheric Magnet- Particle yeah. Analyzer. The objectives of the LECP are. Um, the spectra of the various at- atomic species are comprising the galaxies, comprising the galic- galactic cosmic radiation, especially at low energy, time variation, time variation of galactic cosmic rays, and the ra- the racial gradient of them, energetic particles of planetary origin and of solar origin associated with flares and active regions, and interplanetary energetic particles. It likes particles. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Um, it it does. It it focuses on just particles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but all the different kinds of solar and trying work and solar flares, so it's like the sun, planetary ones, to so trying to work out the origins of those planets. And as James says, everything in between. Magno uh, magnometer. Although the mag- magnometer mag can detect some of the effects of the solar wind on other planets and moons. Its primary job is to measure changes in the sun's magnetic field with distance and time. Oh dear, I think I've lost Jamie now. With that. No, no, you're fine. Carry on. To determine if each of the outer planets has a magnetic field, how the moons and rings of the outer planets interact with those magnetic fields. Uh, the objectives of it are to uh, represent the planetary magnetic fields of Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. Uh, determine the magnetosphere structure of all the giant planets encountered, investigate the basic physics mechanics and processes involved both, both in interactions between solar wind and magnetosphere and internal magnetosphere dynamics in correlation studies with particles and field investigations God, this is lots um, investigate the interactions of satellites of these planets with their <coughs> magnetosphere solar wind environments so it kind of deals with how the magnetic fields of those planets, so Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune, were affected by the solar winds from the sun. Right, gotcha. Okay, yeah, again, that's what I mean. You've explained it so well, so I so succinct. I get what you mean. Because right. you're going to get solar flares, yeah. and each planet's obviously got their own atmospheres. Oh dear, I already have lost Jamie. No, 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 no. Keep no. going, Jamie. We're kind of halfway there. No, it's fine. And it's fine. Because on the Earth we have uh, Northern Lights. Yeah. And we're trying to work out whether they have their own equivalents because they're going to have different atmospheres because they're all, all the planets have different makeups. Yeah. And they're all gas giants. Makes so sense. So their atmosphere might be different and might have different interactions with the solar wind. So that's what the mag is investigating. And it would have detected what the interactions would have been and so whether we can detect it. So that's what the mag is. Yeah, I don't think I finished what I was saying, but yeah. Um, Actually serve the interplanetary magnetic field beyond one... Oh, I've got that somewhere else. Uh, Astronomical unit 
and continuing extend studies at large scale characteristics of interplanetary medium. Uh, continuing extend studies of physics of microscale phenomena in the solar wind. Oh, one more, just to finish it off with. Search for the transitional region between inter interplanetary and interstellar medium, and if possible, investigate the magnetic characteristics of the boundary region and measure the galactic magnetic field and its variations. Try trying to work out where the solar system ends and where the interstellar space begins, which is what it did do. Oh god, this is, oh god, you might want me to do this one, Jeremy, because that does not look kind. And if you, yeah, you, I'll do this one, Jeremy. Or the optical one. You do optical, I'll do planetary. Cool. The optical... Because, um... Yeah. It's, 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 the optical it's, calibration target is a target plane that's a flat, re flat rectangle of known colour and brightness fixed to spacecraft, so the instruments on the movable scan platform, cameras, infrared instrument, etc., can point to a predictable target for calibration purposes. Nice and simple. Yeah. Next. It, know, it knows what it that is. Oh, yeah. Oh, the planetary radio astronomy... PRA and the Plasma Wave Subsystem, the PWS. This is the point where I'm glad I always annotate stuff. Have fun. Two separate experiments, the Plasma Wave Subsystem and the Planetary Radio Astronomy Experiment shared two long antennas which stretch at right angles to one another forming a V. So they're the ones that do that. So you have the one with the power supply in the middle mm. and then you have those, so those are those two. Okay. No, so they are those two. Sorry, so I was just referring back to the the um, first page. You see these sticky bits? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Those two bits. Where was I up to? Oh yes. Um, the plasma wave sub sub subsystem yeah covers a frequency range of oh god ten hertz to fifty six hertz, which is pretty small really. And the PRA? The planetary radio astronomy covers two frequency bands from 20.4 kHz to 1300 kHz and from 2.3 MHz to 40.5 40, 40 MHz. So it's really covering a spectrum. It really There's not really a range where it doesn't really cover it. Mm. So the plasma wave subsystem does the low stuff and... The yeah, planetary radio does the high stuff. Cool. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Plasma science. Ooh, this is also where it gets very, very technical. The good thing is once we've done this bit, there's about the generators. So cool. you might get a bit happier. Um, do you want me to read this bit out anyway? The plasma science bit? Uh, you should be good. Um, the, PL the plasma science, PLS... Experiment, experiment measures the low energy ions and electrons that comprise the bulk of the plasma. Three plasma detectors point in the direction of Earth to, uh, to observe solar wind flow and a fourth looks at a right angle to this direction to observe planetary magnetospheres and the heliosphere. It determines the flow, spin, direction, density and temperature of the plasma. Yeah, so that works <coughs> into what we were looking at. What's that? Which one was that about? That works into that works into the magnetometer, and would also work, I think, possibly into the low energy charged particle. It definitely works into the magnetometer. Okay. Because it's talking about because it's what it says about the 
three of them point in the direction of Earth to take solar winds. Mm. And then the other one looks at the magnospheres and the heliospheres of the plasma, so it looks at kind of the solar wind and kind of works out what that's doing and stuff. Um, the objectives of it are uh, the properties and radio, radio evolution of the solar wind, the interaction of the solar wind with Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus and Neptune, the sources, properties and morphologies of the magnetospheric uh, plasma from those planets, um, the interaction of the magnetospheric plasma with the planetary satellites with particular emphasis on plasma properties in the vicinity of Io, Titan and Triton, yeah. ions of interstellar origin, Detect and characterise the nature of the termination shock where the solar wind slows down and becomes more dense as it prepares to enter the heliopause and makes the first detection of the heliopause boundary and the first detection of the plasma from outside our solar system in the interstellar medium. Yeah, so saying where the end of the solar system ends. Cool. Yeah, you want me to do this one, don't you? Uh, yes, please. Yeah, this next one's a bit... <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> the the photopolar meter subsystem, PPS. The photopolarometer subsystem uses a, two two, a 0.2 metre telescope fitted with filters and polarisation analysers. Because eight wavelengths, I'm going to see what this thing looks like. Yeah, because after this guy, it's just a couple more, then I think, I think that is it. Oh, yeah, that's a dinky thing. Where, where is it? That's a dinky thing. So if we go to the front image again. But where spacecraft page was. Yeah. It's that dinky thing there. Oh, wow. It's a, Okay. It does say it does say two not point two meter telescope fitted with filters and polarization and analyzes it covers eight wavelengths in the region between ooh two hundred and thirty-five nanometer uh, and seven hundred and fifty nanometer. The experiment is designed to determine the physical properties of particle particular matter in atmospheres of Jupiter, Saturn and the rings of Saturn. By measuring the Intensity and linear polarization of scattered sunlight at eight wavelengths in the. Oh god, I don't. What no, does that mean? Uh, 2350 to 7000 A region of spectrum. Probably left that blank. Um, the, experiment was, the experiment provided information on the texture and the probable composition of surfaces such of Jupiter and Saturn and the properties of the sodium cloud around Io during the planetary encounter encounters search for optical evidence of electrical discharge lightning and auroral activity will also be conducted so again they're looking for equivalents of northern lights on those planets that's what they were doing uh, the next one is the the radio radio isotope thermoelectric generators the RTG so three RTG units, electrically parallel connected, are the central power sources for the mission module. Each RTG is made up of a radio isotope heat source, a thermoelectric converter, a gas pressure venting system, temperature transducers, connectors, a heat rejecting cylindrical container and bracketry. The, um, the RTGs are mounted in tandem end to end on an employable boom as part of the mission module MM. The heat source radio isotope Topic fuel is plutonium 238 in the form of the oxide PU02. In the isotopic decay process, alpha particles are released which bombard the inner surface of the container. The energy release is converted to heat and is the source of the thermoelectric electric converter. So yeah. It's got again it's got plutonium on the end of it. Yeah. So effectively it's the it's the engine. Yes. That's basically what it is. 
Helps him again. Say, you know, again, I can... One of the other reasons Simon Connor said, yeah, you could read this part because he said it's vaguely understandable. Um, and last one. Last one, yes. Uh, did you want me to read this one as well? or? Yeah, um, there's only a, a equal bit of science, yeah. but I can help with that. Uh, so the last one is, of this, guys, is the ultraviolet spectrometer, the UVS. The UVS is a very specialised type of light meter that is sensitive to ultraviolet light. It determines when certain atoms or ions are present or when certain physical processes are going on. The instrument looks for specific colours of ultraviolet light that certain elements and compounds are known to emit. Um, the UVS covers a wavelength range of 40 nanometer to 180 nanometer, looking at planetary atmospheres into interplanetary space. The sun emits a large range of colours of light. If sunlight passes through an atmosphere, certain elements and molecules in the atmosphere will absorb very specific. Oh yes, it's this thing. This thing is what they what they use to work out um, what what elements are in a planet. That's okay. what it's effectively saying. So, if they shoved it, if they pointed it at Earth, mm. it would say, "Yeah, this is." We're detecting oxygen, we're detecting nitrogen, we're detecting carbon dioxide hmm. because it shows peaks. Ah, you, gotcha. can, you can tell elements by what peaks you get and what frequencies and whatnot. Okay. Uh, interplanetary space. Uh, right. Um, right. If the, if the UVS were looking at field of sunlight, notice the absence of any of these specific colours, the particular elements or compounds have been detected. The, this process is called. Call identify elements or compounds by at atomic absorption. The objective of the UVS is to determine the scattering properties of the lower planetary atmospheres, the distribution of con constituents with height, and the extent and distribution of hydrogen, corona, other planets, and satellites. Um, it investigates night air, glow, and auroral activity. It also determines the UV scattering properties and optical depths of planetary rings and searches for emissions from the rings on from any ring atmosphere. And that is it. Um, we do have something right at the end, but we're not going to read it out. Um, you said it's about Voyager 6, isn't it? It's a reference. Been there, done that. Yeah, yeah so. Um, the only other thing I will say, and I did forget at the start to remind Simon, but I thought we'd got into the flow of it, so I thought might as well just leave it to the end Simon is wearing a pin has been wearing a pin for this episode haven't you Simon yeah yes. I thought oh we don't really need to matter um present from my friend Gary yeah from my last birthday yeah it's just a nice simple TOS pin yeah I thought yeah it's just like you know what why not but uh, for once actually isn't fancy it's a it's a what is it which one is it I can just say on here somewhere a pyramid well, it's go. nothing special no. but yeah I thought so, you know what I thought I'd wear that uh, Jamie did that actually go better and smoother and nicer than you yeah. uh, Jamie I, to be fair Jamie has been dreading this one for I think last few weeks yeah because he's been because he, he found this research and it was a bit like oh god like, oh god I think it's safe to say out of all the ropes we've that had out uh, uh, this path and the, these notes here at the end the space car was probably the most technical yes so yeah no, um, but I love it because I, I know roughly what well, you're talking about, about yeah, and I don't know everything no but. no but you explained but I even I've grasped enough of it to kind of get what the functions of the different parts of the 
instrument, different instruments are. So the um, notes will be in the blurbs. You go and go and look look at all of this for yourself and try and make heads or tails of it yourself. Um, did, did, did we mention this? That um, Neptune isn't as blue as they think yeah. it is. There we that's, go. Yeah. that's gone in kind of. They reprocess it. They kind of got it wrong first time round, and no one listens to any of the scientists going, "No, no, no! This is this is artificially modified." So it's been it's kind of over the it's, years. It's, it's, a, it's more of a muted blue. Yeah. Um, Doctor Becky, Doctor Becky Smedhurst did a video on it recently, or at least when I did, when literally last night before we did this episode. So I'd go and check that out. She's a wonderful scientist who does put things in layman terms. And really brings, and sorry for the pun, brings uh, um, astronomy down to earth. Yeah. I think, Jeremy, I think you'd. I was going to say. You won't, but I think you would really appreciate the way she does things. I might do. We'll, is, we'll watch it. No, you won't. You, that's why, again, James was amazed by the variety of things I watch. Yeah. Jeremy won't, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd maybe go I will. And, maybe I'll surprise you one day. You won't. You won't. Um, but I'd go and watch a video on it because I think it's really fascinating. The whole fact that because of the eighties and because of the eighties, no one paid any attention. Yeah, it, 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 this this fact of Neptune was this was it was it blue whatever it was is well that it's become it's become it's, common knowledge. But yeah, actually it's, and it's been accepted as fact when in fact it's not fact. Well, it's it's more muted than yeah, it, yeah. than you think it is because. Um, but yeah, do check out. I said, do check out. I said, if you haven't listened to our previous episode, episode, check out that. Obviously, the farthest documentary, definitely, definitely, because if you're sitting there scratching your head, going, "What on earth were they just talking about?" This this documentary explains things again in layman's terms. It's really clear. It's really simplistic. And it's just so fascinating to no, watch. I hope that I didn't make that as terrifying as no. it. No, no, no. My brain does feel a little bit ooh, but. It, it's good we're good we're good uh, so yeah we hope you enjoyed listening to this very kind of technical um, research episode uh, we promise uh, I think our uh, next one will be nice and easy nice, nice and easy and actually kind of more what we should be doing more kind of yeah we're, we're going to be well we're going to be doing um, we're going to be doing, finally doing our season 3 retrospective of Star Trek Picard I have lots of notes yes I have lots of thoughts and we are going to be very positive about this, I think I think it's not really a uh, you know a, a kind of a surprise because season three was kind of like people say it's probably like the, the most favourite season. I think so. Yeah, that that's next on the agenda. Yeah, so, but yeah. are you glad that's dealt with Jeremy? Yeah, yeah. I'm, so, I'm glad we come back and do it because that really annoyed me last year when it's a bit like I want to do this and I think yeah. I mean yeah, I, I wasn't as bothered, but I'm kind of glad we have now because as I said we because that was the plan. I don't know how long this episode is, but. We were going to do, I said it was going to be one, we were going to do maybe, if not all of the instruments, we would have probably talked about most of them. No, but actually I think it's worked out for the better, because I think that that was already running at about an hour. Yeah. And if we'd done another, I think this will run around 50 or minutes in an hour, you, you know, you, you look at the numbers. Um, but if we'd done it back to back with everything that was in the original notes and then what we've just done, your brain already at that point was already fried, so I think actually it's probably, probably exploded. Better, yeah, so maybe it has. Yeah, um, 
But yeah. I'm, I'm happy to have done it. We can now tick that off the list and you can kind of go, bye-bye, Voyager 1 and 2. We have done you. I have enjoyed it. I'm glad we have done it because it has been interesting. It, it did so much science. You know, the heavens, in fact, it's still out there. They're still out there doing their things. The sad news is we are probably going to lose contact with them in the very near future. I think that is coming. But to keep in contact with them as long as it has is incredible. And you look at the because you can. Did you see this at the time? If you go on their website, you can see where they are, how far away yeah. they are. Just the bonkers. If you look at the top of my notes somewhere, what does it say? Uh, astonishing numbers. And that's all you can say. Just astonishing numbers all around. It's just a shame, but again. It, their legacy will go on forever. Oh yeah, and the fact is, it, it you know it lasted well beyond what they thought it would anyway. So the fact that it's lasted for as long as it has, I think, is just amazing. Even with their short bought um, aluminium foil. Yeah. Do you remember that fact from the documentary? Oh yeah. So yeah, that, that's that. Although what I will say is we aren't done with proper interest this year of science you mean I'm not sure I call it science but we are doing other odd interests yeah yes. this year yeah we've got your German interest coming very soon and obviously well, I'm thinking later in the year and obviously we're going to be doing yeah so, ne- so later on the year we're going to be doing another kind of sciencey one but we're going to be focusing on a different aspect shall I say I'm not you go and say it but it's, again I'm not calling it science at all no, it, it is it's, it's, really. just a, it's just a, but it's more of a what would you call it more historical yeah. Yeah. So we're going to be focusing on the spy plane, the Blackbird. SR seventy two. Yes. Um, so yeah, so just something a bit different. I think would be quite nice to do. But yeah, that's it for now, guys. But yeah, as I said, we'll be back uh, next with our season three retro of Picard. Yes. All right. So Talk to you then. Bye. Bye.